Are you glad that you're at church tonight? All right. I feel like it's been a good day, has it not? We have worshiped the Lord well, we have sung, we have learned, we've been together in Bible fellowship. It has just been a full good day in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right, that was better. So let's dive into Jonah chapter 2 tonight. So if you have your Bibles, you have your outline, let's, let's turn to Jonah chapter 2. And about a year and a half ago, I preached from Jonah chapter 1. So maybe in 2021, we'll get to Jonah chapter 3. Uh, but tonight, we're going to follow up that from a year and a half ago with Jonah chapter 2. And to be honest, I find myself going back to the book of Jonah almost time and time and time again, because so much of Jonah's personality and so much of Jonah's wandering, I see myself in and I see my own spiritual state and my own spiritual walk in the book of Jonah. And so, so often I find myself coming back to read Jonah's story and to just learn from, uh, learn lessons from his calling, his disobedience, his suffering, all these different things. And there's so much, as you see as the title of your outline, that we can learn from Jonah. And especially as we get to chapter two, inside the belly of this big fish. So let's recap chapter one, just so we kind of know where we are. We know that Jonah in chapter one is called by God to go to the Ninevites and preach very clearly a message of repentance. God comes to him, gives him a clear command. Hey, Jonah, go to the Ninevites and preach a message of repentance. Jonah, on the other hand, feeling a little bit whatever, decides that he is going to go to Joppa, go down into a boat and just flee the presence of the Lord. This is not a good idea. And so Jonah gets in the boat and he's fleeing the presence of the Lord and the boat, you know, starts to break apart and the storm comes and terrible things are happening. The sailors are calling out and they're throwing their cargo overboard um, and they're trying to get rid of all this stuff. They're crying out to their gods, trying to figure out what to do and nothing's working. And so they throw Jonah overboard. You see, sorry, I missed number one. Jonah called to the Ninevites, uh, flees from God. And number two, sailors threw Jonah overboard to calm the storm. This is the solution that the sailors come up with as the lot comes to Jonah, that they throw Jonah overboard. And you remember what happened as soon as Jonah hits the water, the storm calms, everything gets normal. And then Jonah sinks to the bottom of the ocean. And then that great moment a big fish comes and swallows him up, right? This is one of Micah's favorite stories that out of nowhere, this big fish comes and swallows Jonah in verse 17 of chapter one. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And so this is where we are gonna find ourselves today in Jonah chapter two. Jonah is inside the belly of this big fish. So to set the stage, I want you to just for a moment, picture yourself inside of a big fish. Okay, not the children book version. I read Micah this story the other day. And in the picture books, you see Jonah is like hanging out with a, he's got a candlelight and he's in this like warm belly and he's just hanging out, like just grabbing a fish, eating it and everything is perfect and rosy, but that's not quite how this thing works, right? He's in the belly of a fish. In a fish, okay? So there's like stomach acid and there's fish stuff hanging out and water coming in over the top of him. This is not the storybook version. This is the reality version. Jonah is in the belly of a fish. That's where we are. Okay, we got it? Everybody good? Are we good? Okay, Jonah's in the belly of a fish. So this is our recap. So let's read what's going on in the mind of Jonah from the belly of a fish in Jonah chapter 2. Would you read along with me from Jonah chapter 2 verse 1? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods, they surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation, it belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray together. Dear Father, would you teach us tonight? God, we don't want more information. We want more action in our lives. We want you to change us from the inside out. So as we learn from Jonah's story, would we be compelled to action in the world around us? Teach us, comfort us by your word. In your name we pray. Amen. So the first thing that we see on your outline is Jonah then prayed to God. This word then is very important. You see in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, then Jonah prayed. At what point does Jonah pray? But Jonah waits until he is in the belly of the whale at the bottom of the ocean. At that moment, Jonah finds it a good time to pray. I think it is a pretty good time to pray, right? So all of chapter 1, we get Jonah at the, at the bottom of an ocean and the bottom of a boat, storms raging around him. The pagan captain of this boat comes to the bow of the boat and says, Jonah, get up. You need to do something to your God to get this storm to stop raging. Everybody's losing their minds, and Jonah is asleep. Nowhere in chapter 1 does anywhere record Jonah praying or doing anything God-oriented until we get to chapter 2. Now, in chapter 2, Jonah, again, remember where we are, in the belly of a fish, at the bottom of an ocean, and maybe in the understatement of the century, in verse 2, it says, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress. This is a distressing situation, is it not? If you found yourself at the bottom of the ocean inside of a fish, it would be quite distressing. Maybe not. I think it is. But Jonah then prayed to God. At this point, I want to maybe get frustrated with Jonah again because you're thinking, Jonah, you've had all these opportunities. Why wait now until you are at the bottom of the ocean inside of a whale? Why is this the good moment for you to pray? You missed the boat earlier to pray to the Lord in the ship. Why are you waiting until you're at the bottom of the boat? And there it records, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. But you know as well as I know from our experience in the Christian life, we've been Jonah on multiple occasions. We wait until we have run out of all the resorts. We have exhausted plans A through whatever, and we are on X, Y, and Z. We've got nothing left. And it's at this moment that it says, then Mark prays to the Lord. Then when Mark has exhausted everything, where he's got nowhere else to turn, when he has exhausted all of his resources and all the good things that he can do, then he prays. Now, if I could conjecture for a moment, not, not from Scripture, from just what I see in our lives and see throughout the pages of Scripture, I would think there's some reasons why it takes Jonah so frustratingly long to pray to the Lord. Now, we know what Jonah's doing. He is fleeing the presence of the Lord. He is turning his back on the Lord and running the opposite direction. There's some disobedience and sin that's involved in Jonah being where he is. And so can, I can imagine that Jonah may have a little trouble praying to the Lord, much like you and I do, and we are in the middle of disobedience. Usually the last thing that we want to do is pray. 
We feel like God doesn't want to hear me. I'm disobeying. I'm sinning. God doesn't want to see, see or talk to me anymore because my sin is so great. My disobedience is so great. Surely God will want nothing to do with me. Maybe he's just a little bit ashamed, right? He's gone down in the bottom of the boat. Pagan sailors are telling him he needs to pray. He doesn't pray. And here he is finally praying at the bottom. Maybe he's just a little bit ashamed. Or maybe Jonah just doesn't quite believe enough. Maybe he just thinks that his prayers wouldn't work. Maybe he doesn't feel like his prayers are necessary or important enough. Or maybe he just doesn't feel like God is ready to hear or listen to him. I don't know whatever reason, but whatever reason, we all struggle in the same way to exhaust all resources before we decide, let's pray. Friends, I don't, I don't want this to be the case for us, but I think that so often this is the case in our lives that we exhaust everything. We reach the end of ourselves. We exhaust everything that we can do in our power and our might. And then we say, you know what? Let me get on my knees. Let me pray. But see, what do we see in Jonah? Right here he says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord. And did, did God turn his back on Jonah and say, you foolish prophet, you've got to suffer in the belly of the well. And then after you've suffered for a while and got your life straight, then I'll listen to you. Not so much. Right here in chapter 2, verse 2, it says, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And what does God do? What does it say? He answered him. God listened and answered him. Even though this prophet of God clearly, oh, so clearly disobeyed God, ran the opposite direction, God heard Jonah and answered him. This is some good news for us who may have fallen away or gotten distracted or in the middle of our disobedience and sin. What does God do? He hears and answers our prayers. Now, does God answer in the ways that I want him to often? He doesn't always answer my prayers in exactly the way that I want them to be answered or even in the exact same time frame that I want him to answer. But what we see from Jonah and what we see from God's word clearly is that God hears you and he answers our prayers. God is listening as you cry out to him. Even if you are in the pigsty of life, God is listening. God hears you when you are following and listening and obeying, but he also hears you when you are in the pigsty of life, when you are on your last leg. God's ear is inclined and he is listening to you. Is this good news or is this good news? Is this good news or is this good news? That he hears us and he listens to us, that he is not distant and far away, but he is near to us in the middle, right smack dab in the middle of our distress. He is listening to you. So friends who struggle in prayer know that God is listening to us. He is listening and he is answering and he is at work in our lives. So Jonah then is going to pray to God, but then let's move to this next portion. Jonah is seeing God's hand in his situation. If you start in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. This wasn't happenstance that Jonah is floating in the bottom of the ocean. All of a sudden, randomly, a big fish comes and gets him. No, God appointed a big fish to come up and swallow Jonah. It's almost like God's up to something here. I don't know. He, he appoints a big fish that acts as a submarine to take Jonah to dry land. But even more so, you see, Jonah is acknowledging God's role in his disobedience. In verse 3, it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and your waves, your billows passed over me. God is working to shake Jonah and the foundations all around him to get his attention, to say, Jonah, get back on course. Get back in the way you should go. Jonah is suffering mightily at his own hand. His disobedience has led him down a pathway of suffering. Now, I want to pause here for a moment 
and this is not a fully baked sermon on suffering, but I want to stop for a moment because we see Jonah suffering in his disobedience. I know that many people ask the question, why in life do I suffer? Why am I suffering? And I'm certainly not going to answer all those questions right now, but if you could think that there are really uh, many buckets, but there may be three primary buckets of our suffering. And the first is just like Jonah. When we suffer because of our disobedience and because of our sin, when we have addictions and things in our life that are sin-oriented, when we suffer because of the sin in our lives, we have a Jonah-type situation where we are suffering because of our sin. And there's really only one response to this type of suffering, and it is to repent. God is gracious to Jonah not to just let him die, but to get his attention through his suffering to say, Jonah, come back. Come back, Jonah. Let this suffering point you back on course. And if you are suffering because of your sin, can I lovingly encourage you to repent. Maybe your suffering is God's megaphone, and C.S. Lewis would tell you to get back on course. But secondly, there's another kind of suffering that we experience, and it's suffering in our obedience. The kind of suffering in which our enemy inflicts a messenger of Satan to harass us, a thorn in our side, suffering like Job, suffering like the disciples and the apostles who suffered because of their obedience. And many times in our life, we suffer simply because we are following the Lord Jesus. We lose friendships and opportunities and whatever it may be. Maybe you are suffering tonight because of your obedience of the Lord Jesus. Well, you certainly don't need to repent. Maybe you just need to rejoice. Rejoice that the Lord has counted you worthy to suffer. And so if you're suffering because of your obedience, rejoice. I know it's not an easy thing, but we rejoice in our sufferings. But there's another category that I know hurts us deeply to the core, as we've even talked about tonight. There's suffering that we experience because we live in a fallen world. There's cancer, there's sickness, there's pain, there's sorrow, there's earthquakes, there's tornadoes, there's floods, there's famines, there's bad things that happen across the landscape of our world because we live in a fallen world. And so what do we do with this? What do we do with this kind of suffering when we experience this cancer and hurt and pain? Well, we remember that there's a day coming for the believer that there will be no more tears and pain and suffering in this time that is to come. And I have been reflecting on this today as today is my mom's 60, would have been my mom's 63rd birthday. Friends, she suffered with cancer. She suffered for four years under the weight of a fallen world that would bring cancer into this world and inflict her body. And there are moments where there's frustration, but what I can do is remember her remembering that they're reminding herself that there is a day coming where she would not hurt and she is not hurting at this present moment where she is rejoicing over seeing Jesus face to face. And when we are dealing with suffering in the world today that is because of this fallen world, we remember and remind each other that there is a day coming when Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes and everything will be as it's supposed to be. And so it's hard in this present day, but we look forward to that day that is coming and we remind each other in these pews that this is not as it should be and there is a day that is coming and we encourage one another towards that day. And so, friends, if we are suffering because of our disobedience, repent. If we are suffering because of the enemy's work in your life, rejoice. And if you are suffering because of the fallen nature of the world that we are living in, that we are all under, remember that this is not the end. That there's a better day, a better thing coming. Well, let's, let's move on here. We've got 
limited time here. So Jonah sees God's hand in his situation to be working and all these things, amazing things happening that God is working to bring Jonah back to himself. And then verse five and six, we see Jonah comes to the end of himself. Beautiful, beautiful. The high point of this chapter is right here in verse five and six. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. And here it is. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. This is Jonah acknowledging that he is coming to the end of himself and the Lord reaches down. Remember, he's at the bottom of the ocean. The Lord reaches down through this whale to pick him up out of the pit. There's some good pits in scripture, right? Think about Daniel and the lion's den or the lion's pit, right? Daniel had no chance against these lions, but what does God do but shut the mouth of the lions and Daniel is rescued from this pit. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, in this fiery pit? And what does God do but save them from this fiery pit? Look at David in Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity. Let me stop right there because you may have missed that. Who forgives all your iniquity. All is a good word, right? Not some of it, not a little bit of it. Can you say it with me? Forgives all of my iniquity, right? You say it. Forgives all my iniquity. This is good. This is good. That he forgives all of our iniquity, who heals all of our disease, who redeems your life from the pit. This is David telling us that he has redeemed our life from the pit. And at times I feel like when we struggle in our Christian faith with just passion and love for the Lord, I think that we forget from from where we have come. That the Lord has reached his hand down into the bottom of the pit that we were in and reached up and grabbed us out. We were at the bottom of this ocean and God somehow brought this thing to us and his name was Jesus to save us from this depth of the pit that we were in. At times, I think maybe I think that I crawled my way out of that pit. Nuh-uh. Jesus on the cross came down and he took me out of that pit. I was dead as Jonah was at the bottom of the sea. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when I was dead in my sins and trespasses, he made me alive together with Christ. It is by grace we have been saved. And so across this room, from this far right side to this far left side, God has rescued each of us out of the depth of our pit. So we have to acknowledge it. We have to know it. This is the highlight of scripture. Nothing else makes sense if we don't acknowledge that God has rescued our lives out of the pit. ABCs of evangelism. Admit that we are a sinner. Admit that we are in a pit. And we believe that Jesus is the one who is going to reach us out and save us. And so this is exactly what Jonah does. He comes to the end of himself and acknowledges that he has no hope and that God is the source of his salvation. And then let's continue. Jonah realizes where his salvation comes from, seven through nine. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. And then in the first time, salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember in chapter one, Jonah has just seen the sailors run around like maniacs, throwing cargo overboard, paying regard to idols and just praying to God, trying to figure out something that they can do to get this storm to stop. None of it works, right? They're paying regard to vain idols. Now, what does that look like for us? And just this week, my sweet little one-year-old gave me this wonderful illustration. It's just stuck with me, right? We got in our house this wonderful little device that holds a five-gallon jug of water. And you go up to it, and you, you put your cup up to it, and cold water comes pouring out. It is wonderful. But it's also a nightmare because she's one, and she doesn't get how 
stop and start water coming out onto the floor, all that kind of stuff. So the other day, I'm just sitting on the couch, and I've, I've got this sermon done. I'm thinking vain idols. Like, you know, what are you thinking? And her favorite cup, she just got thirsty and went up to it, and I heard that of water coming out, and Brittany's gone, Micah's gone, and I know it's her, right? And so I go over, and she is just, you know, doing it, doing it, and doing it, and water is just, it's just a mess. Water is everywhere. She's got her favorite cup, trying, she's so thirsty, trying to get water, and and I tell you, there's a hole at the bottom of her favorite cup. It's one of those stacked cups, and there's a hole at the bottom. And so all she's doing is going up, getting water, getting it up to her mouth, water going everywhere, because the hole at the bottom of the cup is doing no good, and her thirst is not quenched. She's just going up, trying to get water. Nothing's working, and it is an absolute mess. This is paying regard to vain idols. Friends, when we are thirsty, we go up to these things, and we try to fill it with stuff and all these things, and all of it's doing is just creating a mess in our lives. We go up to the spigots of money and drugs and alcohol and substances and entertainment and people, and we're trying to fill our lives with these things, fill these things in our heart that are just so longing for the Word of God and who He is, and all we're doing is just putting it, water pouring out in our lives are just becoming a mess. Jonah saw it in chapter 1 with the sailors doing no good, just running around like chickens with their head cut off, and Jonah knows Salvation does not belong to all the idols across the face of this earth, but it belongs to one and one alone, and that is our Lord and Savior Jesus. So friends, if i got to ask you, where does your salvation come from? Do you find yourself going to the spigots of the world, trying to find things to fill and quench your ever-spiritual thirst, when all the while you have the spiritual water of Jesus Christ to nourish you? Jonah realizes where his salvation comes from, and then verse 10 Jonah is delivered. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. This is the good promise, hope of the scripture that Jonah, who has disobeyed and deliberately gone the other way, God has so made a way for Jonah where there seemed like no way for Jonah to ever get back on dry land to appoint a big fish to swallow him up But then also, while Jonah is in the belly of that whale, thinking it is dark on the outside, not knowing what's going on, all the while, while Jonah is praying, that fish is swimming. Swimming, Jonah doesn't know where, but God knows that Jonah, that fish is being sent to that dry land to vomit Jonah out so that he can be going on mission. Friends, for you and me, know that God is calling us, and we are just one moment, one step away from repenting and turning back from him. He doesn't throw us away. He doesn't leave us in our weeds and our muck and our mire. He has done the great work of salvation in us so that we can go out and do the work that he has called us to do. Let's pray together. Dear Father, thank you. God, thank you that you give us great hope through the story of Jonah, that you love us, that you care for us, that you have made a way where there is simply no way. God, we thank you that you love us enough that you did not leave us in the middle of the ocean to die, but you have come to send Jesus to rescue us out of that pit. So God, give us a realization of the pit that we've been taken from so that we can go out and bring others to the light through your son Jesus. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.